0: Here at Centerpoint Church, we believe that Jesus changes everything. And one of the things we do each week is get together and study the Word of God and hear a lesson. I can't wait to spend some time with you today. Let's jump right in. We are on week three of this collection of talks on the book of Jonah. Week one was called, And I Ran. Last week was called, Fish Food. This week, our subtitle is The Shortest Sermon Ever. The shortest, oh, some of you perked up. Mark's like, oh, really? Okay, I'm into this now. Unfortunately for you, that has nothing to do with my sermon, it has everything to do with Jonah's, but it is called The Shortest Sermon Ever. Let me recap where we are. Jonah is one of 12 minor prophets. How many? 12. We talked last week about echoes all throughout Scripture. You're going to see echoes all throughout Scripture. The number 12 is no different. When you see the number 12 in Scripture, it almost always points to man of some sort. There were 12 tribes. There were 12 disciples. Now, the minor prophets and the major prophets has nothing to do with the impact. It has everything to do with the length of their book. And so Jonah is a relatively short book, 48 verses, Only three include the big fish that's behind me, and we're already past his point in the story because the centerpiece or the center point is not the fish, it's not even Jonah, it's always God. And in particular, it's always Jesus Christ. And we talked last week that Jesus, recorded in the tax collector's gospel, talks about Jonah. Now when you're studying scripture there's a few important things and we're about to jump into it. It's important that you look at good hermeneutics. So you look at the audience, the author, the author's intent, but you also need to look and see how does these particular verses fit into the book? How does that book fit into all of the Bible? And so with Jonah, when you're reading things in scripture it's really hard to determine what's going to be allegorical, what's literal, what's prophetic. But what I have really kind of decided from studying Scripture is to always go literal unless the Word gives you an idea or an indication as to why it shouldn't be literal. And we don't see any indication as to why this wouldn't be literal because the Bible goes out of its way to give insanely specific geographic points as well as periods of time and how long things lasted. And Jesus referenced this prophetically about his death, burial, and resurrection. And so I think it's really important for us to lean in to this book of the minor prophet, Jonah. Week one, we talked about parallels. There's four chapters. We're on chapter three right now. One and three parallel each other, and two and four parallel each other. Write that down. One and three is the call of Jonah to go to Nineveh, and two and four is Jonah alone with God. And so that's kind of where we are. We're in three, so now we're back to one, which is the call of God to go to Nineveh. So here we are, chapter 3, verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Everybody say second. Saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and go out against it the message that I tell you. Call out against it the message that I tell you. Here's what's important about that. Is that 3, 1 and 2 parallel 1, 1 and 2. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. Go to 3, 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. And then verse 2, they line up perfect. It's three Hebrew imperatives. Arise, go, and proclaim. The same thing that the Lord told Jonah to do before Jonah messed up. Now, we talked last week about how you can't sin away your purpose, how you can't mess up. When God tells you to do something, he did not stutter. We talk ourselves out of it because, Tony, like, I messed up, I'm a bad person, I didn't listen the first time, I'm disqualified from doing the work of God, and God's like, dude, I already knew you were going to do all of that, and the Word's going to come back to you a second time. And if I had to actually pick what I think the entire theme of this book is, it's two things. It's God pursuing imperfect people and God using imperfect people for his perfect will. And we see it over and over and over again in Scripture. But here's the difference. I want you to write this phrase down. Same task, dot, 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 different Jonah. You see, one, one and two, and three, one and two, a lot happened in between. So now Jonah's coming for the same task, but this is a different Jonah because this Jonah's been through some things. This Jonah has grit. This Jonah is a lot more humble. This Jonah is a lot more excited, has good perspective now. Same task, different Jonah. What have you been through in your life? Because if God's still calling you to do something, you should be different than you were last time when you messed up. I know it's like, man, okay, I've seen what a life looks like when Jason tried, tries to do everything. I've seen what that looks like. That almost cost me my marriage, my career, and my relationship with my children. Like, I've seen what it looks like when Jason is the engine to drive this train. So instead, I'm going to make myself a caboose. And it's a big caboose these days. Because sometimes when you try to run your own life, you act like a caboose. That's in the Old Testament. Same task. Different Jonah. I have this. It should be on the screen behind us. This is important. Y'all need to hear this. You know it. You've listened, but you need to hear this. Our God is in the restoration business. Our God is in the restoration business. Do any of you like to watch the TV shows where they go in and they like fix up a house? And you're like, man that house looks way better than my house ever would. And then, like, you try to do the same project, and it turns out like a fail. Like, but they go into a neighborhood. They find the junk house that the neighborhood has discarded. They buy it for a lower price than what it was worth at one point in time. And they look back, and they're like, okay, all right, yep, I see. We can paint that wall over there. We can add this tile over here. Next thing you know, it's, like, beautiful, beautiful and they sell it for way more and now all of a sudden what was once like the decrepit house in the neighborhood is now like the centerpiece the center point of the whole neighborhood and that's kind of what God does with us like he looks at you where you are and and, and let no mistake when you read the story of Gideon Gideon's hiding in a wine press and God comes to him and says you mighty warrior you mighty man of God I see what you're going to be I don't see where you are right now our God is in the restoration business is your life in shambles is there spots in your house, inside your life, a metaphorical house that are the fancy room up front, and then you have the hidden room back here where all your junk is, and you just hope that no one sees what that room looks like? That's kind of how we, we treat ourselves, but we see this echo throughout Scripture of God restoring people. You see, Jonah messed it all up. Three one. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Let's find out another place in Scripture just a little earlier in the Book of Judges. Y'all know Samson, right? Him and I are built the same, but built for combat. And and Samson was a. That's not funny. See, Samson was a Nazarite, took a Nazarite vow, and broke the vow all the time. Compromise after compromise after compromise after compromise. Struggled with lust issues. Struggled with pride. Same thing that a lot of us struggle with. And and so he was told not to cut his hair. As long as his hair was long you would have the strength of the Lord. It's a whole interesting side note, and maybe we'll do this one time in the future, but to see the Holy Spirit show up in the Old Testament. Right now, you and I have the Holy Spirit living inside of us, but the Holy Spirit would show up in the Old Testament either on people, in people, or empower people for a purpose or for a period of time, and the Holy Spirit would come upon Samson, and that's when he would be strong, as long as he didn't cut his hair. And you know the story. He fell into that same trap of small little compromises over time, and next thing you know, he finds himself with his head shaved, his eyes gouged out, and now he's a slave chained to these two columns. Over and over and over again, he directly disobeyed what God told him to do. But here's the good part. Judges chapter 16, Verse 21, if you're taking notes, just write that to the side and then go back and study it later. Judges 16, 21. If you're not taking notes, you'll not remember this. Take notes. Statistics say that you'll remember 25% more if you write it down. Other thing, Homer Simpson says you can use, use numbers to prove anything. Judges 16, 21. Then the Philistines seized him. This is Samson. Gouged out his eyes and took him down to Gaza. Binding him with bronze shackles, they set him to grinding the grain in the prison. This once powerful man of God, this judge who could destroy dudes like no problem in an octagon. No problem. Next thing you know, he's blind. They've completely just humiliated him in front of people. He cries out to God right before this. cries out, come on, I need you, Lord. Forgive me. Now, you and I, if we were God, we would say, you got yourself in this mess. Get yourself out of it. But that's not the heart of my father. What's the heart of my father? He cries out, repents. Verse 22, but the hair on his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. Did you hear that? His eyes never grew back because sin has consequence. But when you repent to God, the power of the Lord can come back to you no matter how many times you've walked away from it. No matter how many times you've directly disobeyed what God's told you to do. We see it over and over and over again in Scripture that the power of the Lord can come upon men and women. If they call out to his name and turn from their ways, he will heal their land. That is worth celebrating. Come on, church. Come on. Clap for that. Come on. Okay. 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 That's Old Testament. Well, I have something for you in the New Testament as well. My second favorite character in the New Testament, my first is Jesus. Okay. Hello. Should be yours too. But my second is Peter, Peter, the apostle Peter, the rock, Cephas. And I want you to hear this. Now, this is really interesting because this is recorded in the beloved's gospel, which is John. And, and this is after Peter has denied Christ. You probably know the story, but I want to add another layer of an echo throughout Scripture. Because again, we're seeing how this fits into all of Scripture. And so here's what I want you to understand. That even in the New Testament, God is in the restoration business. So we have Peter denies Christ three times. Now to you and I, that doesn't seem like that big of a deal. But imagine Peter, who loves Jesus knowing that he was going to abandon him at the time of need and leave his Savior, his King, who he's been with every single day for three years. And when he needed him most, he let him down and deserted him. For Peter, that was everything. So Peter denies him. No, I don't know him. Yes, your accent gives you away. He cusses out a little girl and says, I don't know him. It's Peter. Jesus dies. Jesus dies raises from the dead, and now you're about to see Peter's first interaction with Jesus since that denial, at least what we have in Scripture. Imagine what would be going through Peter's mind when over there on the shore, there's Jesus in his resurrected body, and he's cooking him breakfast. Probably waffles and hash browns, smothered, covered, chunked, and whatever the other stuff is. Jesus cooking them breakfast. Imagine as Peter would walk kind of trepidatiously, like, You gonna forgive me? Are we good? Are we am I in trouble? Am I grounded? <laughs> like, what's going on? Here's the heart of my Savior. Here's the heart of my king. It's always restoration. Always. John 21. So again on the side, write this down and go back and study it later. John 21, 15. It's right till there's the very end of John's gospel. When they finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Can you imagine just the emotion dripping off the page as Peter saying, yes. yes. of course I love you. you. know My actions may not have shown it, but I'm here. I even find it funny if we pause it for a minute. As the boat was approaching the shore, Peter jumps off the boat and starts swimming. Why? There's a couple different reasons. I think passion, and he sees his Savior and says, i got to make this right. Some people says say that it's because Peter wanted to get there first because he thought that Jesus was going to rebuke him, and he wanted that to happen before John could get on to shore. But just imagine this emotion from Peter, verse 16. Do you love me more than these? You know that I love you, Jesus said. Feed my lambs, verse 16. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, you know that I love you. You know I do. That's my prayer to Jesus all the time. Like, man, I am fallen. Man, I I fall short of the glory of God, but I am forgiven. I am righteous. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. That's the second time. Verse 17, then the third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because he had asked him a third time. He missed it. He missed what God was doing here. Do you love me? He said, oh, Lord, you know all things. And you know that I love you? And Jesus says, feed my sheep. Now the words there are important. He's saying, if you love me, then don't sit here and wallow in your own self pity. Like if you really believe that your sin is forgiven, then move on. Like he who the sun sets free is free indeed. We got work to do is kind of what he's saying. But here's the part. Don't miss this. How many times did he ask him, do you love me? How many times did Peter, just a few days earlier, deny him? Don't you think for a second that was missed, that Peter missed that? He gave him the opportunity to replace his disgrace with grace. He gave him the opportunity to say, now I'm in the restoration business. You denied me three times. Now you told me you love me three times. Let's get to work. Our God is always in the restoration business. And here we are with Jonah, verse 3. He's about to head to Nineveh like God told him to do just a short time ago. Now, I want you to hear what the prophet Nahum says about Nineveh. He calls it a bloody city full of lies and robbery. A bloody city full of lies and robbery. I'm going to assume that the prophet Obi-Wan Kenobi would say, you will never find a more wretched hive of scum and villainy as you would. If you have no idea what that means, you're probably not a nerd. If you do, let's go. Dork high five. Let's go. Let's go. Obi-Wan Kenobi. Anyways, back to scripture. Verse three. So John arose and went to Nineveh. Time out. Verse three. What happened in verse three of chapter one? It says, so Jonah, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, told him what to do. Verse three, Jonah's like, Poof, I'm out go in the opposite direction. This time, verse 3, he goes. Same task, different Jonah. See, when you and I mess up, when we deviate from the path of God, we shouldn't stay the same person. We should be different. We should grow stronger. We should get better. We should learn from our mistakes and not keep pushing the same boulder up the hill and wondering why it doesn't work. Same task, different Jonah. Jonah. So the word, according to the word of the Lord, now Nineveh was exceedingly great. Great just simply means in size. How, how big is it? Three days journey across the entire thing. How many days? How many days was Jonah in the belly of the whale? And then he calls out, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Underline that word 40 as well. When you see 40 in Scripture, all throughout Scripture, there's another echo. It almost always has to do with a period of trial or testing. Almost always when you see 40. This is no different. So he preaches the sermon. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Verse 5, one verse later, and the people of Nineveh believed God. If only all evangelists could have it that easy. <laughs> like you preach and they believe. You preach and they believe. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest to them to the least of them. This culturally just means it's a period of mourning, a period of repentance. They're saying that we really believe what I'm just saying. I'm not just giving you lip service like I actually am going to follow through with my actions and show everybody around that this repentance is serious. And this is where we get the subtitle of the sermon, the shortest sermon ever. He thought it was going to be difficult. This is actually only five Hebrew words. What if my sermon was only five words? My grandfather, who just said "woohoo," hoo My grandfather, he told me one time, nobody ever complains when the, when the preacher cuts it short. <laughs> it's just the truth. Five Hebrew words in the entire city, what was a terrible city, one of the capital cities of the Assyrian Empire, and the whole city repents. You know what that lets me know? Someone needs to hear this. At your work, you need to hear this. Whether there's repentance or not, that's not on you. That's on God. God's just asking you to speak the words of his glory. It also lets me know that you never know what someone else is going through. The person that has the desk next to you. God may be tilling their soil of their soul right now for you to plant some seeds, but if you don't, it may never happen. Because most of the time when God needs someone, like wants to bring a blessing or salvation to someone, oftentimes he'll use men and women to do it. In fact, almost always. Sometimes he uses a donkey, and there's another joke in there somewhere. But if Jonah didn't go, what would have happened to Nineveh? If your coworker never hears about God, and it was supposed to be you, then, then what happens when she dies? We gotta be reminded. If you love me, feed my sheep, do something. I feel like Jesus would be saying, like, I pay too much for you to do too little. Let's get to work. Come on, we got a world to win. So so we don't know what they're going through. And I can't help but imagine that something had to happen for the words of Jonah to have this quick of an impact. It's really interesting. It almost feels like if you look out throughout church history with different men and women that God uses, they're just normal people. And God just kind of determines where his spotlight is going to be. And he just anoints someone out of, almost seems like out of nowhere. And they're usually the least likely candidate. But I also think that there may be something to the appearance of Jonah that maybe got everyone's attention. So so we actually have There was actually a news article, and I read it on the internet, so it's got to be true. Just a couple months ago, June of 2021, of a guy named Michael Packard, and Michael Packard was actually swallowed by a whale. This was in Cape Cod, a veteran lobster diver. Why didn't anybody in my high school tell me I could major in that? I love lobster. Swimming is pretty cool. Instead, I was pre-law, which was terrible. Look where that got me. I'm too honest to be an attorney. Just kidding. We'll totally cash your tithe checks if you're an attorney. Please keep coming. All right. June of 2021, listen to this quote from him. I could, since I was moving, I could feel the whale squeezing with muscles in his mouth, he said. Initially, Packard thought he was inside a great white shark, but he couldn't feel any teeth and hadn't initially suffered any obvious wounds. It quickly dawned on him that he was swallowed by a whale. And here's this quote. I was completely inside. It was completely black. And I thought to myself, there's no way I'm getting out of here. I'm done. I'm dead. And so then he realizes that he still has these flippers on. And when he kicks the bottom of the whale's gut, it didn't like it very much. And so he just keeps doing that. <laughs> it's kind of like when your kids are tapping on something and you're like, enough! And, and that's kind of how it was with this whale. And all of a sudden he just spews him out. And he's survived being in the belly of a whale. That may not give us much of an indication because he wasn't in there for very long. But in 1891, there was a guy by the name of James Bartley. And I want you to hear this story. This might give us an indication as to Jonah's appearance. Now, we don't have any record of, of any of that. But I think sometimes we can look in Scripture and maybe say this might have happened and maybe this was what happened. And I can't help but think of this. James Bartley in 1891 was in a whaling expedition. Like they're trying to catch a whale and they shoot a harpoon at a whale and the whale pulls away and as it pulls away, he falls overboard. Then as he falls overboard, he falls directly into the mouth of the whale. Now, they end up actually killing the whale and they drag it to wherever they go to chop open a whale and and, and when they slice it open, after hours and hours and hours and hours, approximately somewhere between 15 and 24 hours he was in here, they slice open the whale's body, and there's James. And he's like, dude, y'all didn't even miss me. I fell off the cruise ship, and here I am. Y'all are drinking drinks out of coconuts with little umbrellas, and I'm in the whale. But listen to what happened to him. Because of the acids inside of the whale's stomach, it bleached his skin almost completely white, made all of his hair fall out over his entire body, and made him blind. Now, he still lived... Not a very long life, I think I read that he died at age 29, but but he lived. So So in my mind, I am thinking that all of a sudden, Like, remember, the whale spewed him out. It would have been near a seaport, so some people probably would have seen it. It just so happens that one of the chief gods, lowercase g of that region, was Dagon, D-A-G-O-N, which was the god of the sea. So imagine this dude comes in, and he takes a whale as a taxi and just gets dropped off. He's got bleached white skin. I don't know if you know anything about modern-day Iraq, but if you're pure white and you've got no hair, you'll look a little different. And all of a sudden, you have this dude that looks different. He probably doesn't smell good. He just took a whale as an Uber. He dropped off right here. And now he's coming in, preaching a five-Hebrew-word sermon. No wonder revival breaks out. If that dude walked in this back door. First of all, I've got security here. Because I'm not exactly built for combat. Since you laughed at my Samson joke earlier. But I want to hear what he has to say the people of Nineveh repent with the shortest sermon ever. Verse 6, the word reached the king of Nineveh quickly, quickly got to the king, and he arose from his throne. Surely he's going to put this down, these rabble rousers. He removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes, and he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh, Because remember, he said, judgment's coming in 40 days. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, listen to this, our God is in the restoration business. God relented of the disaster that he said that he would do to them, and he did not do it. This would be a great spot for us to end this entire sermon. It would have been a great spot for the book of Jonah to end, but there's not, because God isn't done with Jonah's lesson yet, and we'll pick up on that next week but here's the part that we have to understand if God wants to bring revival to your family to your neighborhood, to your workplace to your school, he's going to use you we need you but if we sit here and don't actually act like our sins are forgiven and that we're righteous because we're sons and daughters of the king then you minimize the power of the blood of Jesus I don't like, forgive me if any of you say this, when we, some people walk around and say, oh, I'm just an old sinner. It's just, it's all I am. I'm just gonna limp my way through heaven until I can be made perfect in heaven. No, 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 you are righteous because you are a son and daughter of the Most High King and it's about time we start acting like it. What you need to understand is this, is that God's will for your life is constantly replenishing constantly replenishing like a cistern that just completely overflows constantly I want you to write this phrase down we serve a God whose son was dead until he wasn't your situation is hopeless until it's not your marriage will never be healed until it is your diagnosis will never recover till it does. We serve a God who is in the restoration business. We serve a God who will use imperfect people for his perfect will over and over and over again. We serve a God. The story of the prodigal son is the father. And in this song we're about to sing is run to the father. But the second part of that is, is that the father ran to the son. That didn't happen with Middle Eastern men very much. I haven't ran since 1986, but, but he ran to his son as well. The final thing I want us to hear is about perspective. I read a book recently, and it said that all prayers are finite to an infinite God. Like literally, he can raise Lazarus from the dead, or he can heal your marriage, and they both take equal amount of power of God. and your situation is impossible until it's not. Jonah needed perspective. See, Jonah looked at his situation and said, I can't do this. I don't want to do this. It's not possible, and and I don't even really, really want to. And he looked at it like, why are you asking me to do this hard thing? Why are you asking me to do this? But his perspective could have been. In the Old Testament, the Old Covenant... We have around a little less than 50 people who ever heard directly from God. And Jonah was one of them. And his perspective was God's asking me to give too much or do something I don't want to do when he should have been. I am one of the very few men and women that God chose to speak to directly to do the hard things. I think about Esther and when Mordecai's telling her, maybe you were put in a t- for a time such as this. So if I could just pull back my ribcage and be honest with you for just a moment. It's really hard to give up a comfortable job and move to a town where no one knows you. They don't even know if they have enough money to pay you. In the middle of COVID, and pastor a church. If I could be real honest, man, for the first six months I was here, I was mad. I was mad at God. Why would you ask me to do this? Surely there's someone else like this isn't what you're supposed to do on the professional scale. Like, you're supposed to move up. Not start at the bottom and wash people's feet. My perspective should have been, this is a near impossible task that's incredibly difficult. But perhaps, perhaps, Jason... To come to a humble place and wash people's feet is exactly what Jesus modeled for you. And perhaps, perhaps you're not too good for this. And perhaps, perhaps I gifted you and will be with you for such a time as this. Because very few people, probably in the history of the world, have had to, has God called to move to a new town and pastor a church in the middle of a global pandemic. And instead of looking and saying, Why are you asking me to do this? I don't want to do this. My perspective should be, What an honor. a time such as this. What an honor for God to now get a hold of you and say, I want you to be the man of your household. I want you to lead your wife and your children well. I want you to lead your business through this pandemic. It's difficult, but I could have had you have a business, Jeff, at any time in the history of the world, but I put you here to lead those people that work under you, to lead them through this. I will go before you and I have equipped you for just a time as this. Let's have some perspective what God wants to do in your life during this season. I think Jonah started to realize what he could do if God was indeed with him and if God went before him. We'll wrap up this story, this collection. Next week, would you stand with me, church? What an important reminder from the Word of God today. If we really believe that the Son of God would come to earth and just in three days rebuild the temple and be back from the grave, defeat death. If we really believe that, then we've got to believe that He's with you and that He will equip you for what He's called you to do. And I believe it. I believe it. Because my Savior and my King said so. The Christian life is designed to be all in. And if God is who he says he is, then we are heirs to the kingdom of heaven. So let's start living like it. We got a world to win. Who's on your heart right now? That's your Nineveh. Who is it? That's your Nineveh. If it's nobody, you got work to do. If it's somebody, you got work to do. Let's get to work. Would you pray with me, dear Heavenly Father? Lord, I thank you for your word, God. I thank you that your word never returns void, Lord. I thank you for each and every man, woman, and child within the sound of my voice, God. And I pray that they will have hearts to receive what you want to speak to them today, God. I pray that they will have eyes to see their friends, their coworkers, their families, that you are saying, I need you to speak to them. I need you to reach them. I need you to start a revival. And again, I pray against anything the devil tries to talk them out of god he has no authority in the minds of your children lord i speak against it today lord i love you i praise you and i would do anything for you i will go anywhere for you nothing that you ask will be too hard if you're with me and nothing that you ask will be beneath me god really enjoyed spending some time with you today if this message impacted you in any way let us know we want to hear your story you can contact us at centerpointtn.com we can't wait to hear from you